Have you ever wondered how you could coach your employees to solve their own problems? What else to say besides how was your day and how to build deeper connection and empathy? Or what to do when the emotions start boiling up in between people? Well, today on our podcast, Influence the Ones You Love and Care About, we have Paul Cherry. He is a successful entrepreneur, salesman, and has an obsession with questions throughout his life, which also led him to write three books on the topic. Let's dive right in into the conversation with Paul Cherry. What are things you continuously see yourself using automatically? Yes, and, and I think that is one of the things we all fall into the trap. I have two daughters, 18 and 21, but as I look at their younger days, and it's still true today, falling into the trap of asking the question, how was your day? <laughs> and if you think about that question, although the intent is well, you would think it would open up the conversation, but under the circumstances with children and loved ones, it, it can be perceived as you know on the surface or too generic. And ironically, it can push people away. And I think it's important, though, that when it comes to engaging our loved ones, you know, and our friends and people we're close to, get more specific. Okay, so beyond just how was your day, but, you know, it, tell me, tell me one thing, one thing that was, you know, of most value of interest to you today or anchoring, referencing, leveraging something that you know from the day before last week. It was a class, a study, a peer, teacher, whatever. Hey, I was thinking about your teacher, that teacher, Miss Jones, you know, when she told you, hey, what happened since that in, and how she handling? So sometimes I'll ask questions third party versus referencing directly that person. Why? Because because uh, you asked the question about, you know, how was your day and, and loved ones. Uh, I think sometimes the kids are overloaded and they need to decompress at the end of the day. So when we start bombarding them with questions because we haven't seen them in eight hours, it's kind of like, let's back off, back off. Let's give people some breathing room. So sometimes the most powerful question, Geraldine, is guess what? It's silence. <laughs> it's just listening. Yes. And being in the moment instead of filling air with, you know, superficial questions. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think presence and active listening skills. Yes. One of the most important things we all should continuously improve every single day. I yeah. Think. And one more observation because for your question, my daughter was struggling with a situation just last week going through finals. She's a junior in, in, at the university and she just broke up with her boyfriend and, uh, you know, that's not a good timing with when you got final exams. And I thought, yeah. oh, boy. And, of course, I'm being a little selfish or biased because I want to jump in and say, hey, well, you know about the big picture. You don't want to do this. You know, you know you need to study hard. You know you need to. See what I mean? We get into what I call the telling mode, instructional teaching. Yes. And I think there's danger there. So what the best thing that I can do as a parent is to say mm, empathy, number one, is so important. We all acknowledge the situation, be kind hearted with it, and then ask a question. Well, given the situation, what do you think you should do? And oh. I, that simple question really does allow get get the answers more or less that you're looking for. And surprisingly, 
most of the time it'll be a better answer than anything that you could give if you asked that person. And that's exactly what my daughter, she took ownership and said, you're right. You know what I, I need to do is I need to really hit, put this aside and I'll worry about this boyfriend incident in, next week after the finals are over. Hmm. Came from her, not from me. Isn't wow. that more powerful? I mean, wow. That, I mean, that is such a powerful question because they start to own their answers. Yes. Yeah. They really do. And that's what we want to give anybody. And this applies to any leader when we're trying to develop our people and take ownership. I, uh, it's, we don't want to have people depend on us. And I hear this all the time from leaders that come to me saying, you know what, I, I'm fostering an environment where I'm the problem solver. Well, who's owning the problem? And you're, you're solving the problems for others. Don't let other people take ownership of the problems. They have great ideas. Let's empower them. And getting more practical with that, because I know you have a great strategy for exactly mm -hmm. that in your yeah. book. If you are in the position of a leader and find yourself where you don't, where you think, you know, it's better off if I do it, uh, because then it gets done right, right? Yes. What are the strategies, the steps to take for that leader to start encouraging other people to ramp up, to take responsibility? Yeah, there was a, there's a great, I was working with a manufacturing firm and a supervisor uh, of a department was just frustrated because this person was working about 65, 70 hours a week. And it was because people were coming to this person all the time with, hey, I got this problem. What do I do? I got this problem. And it was very reactionary mode where in order to get things done because the line is running we got to get things moving productivity we can't afford any downtime that uh, this manager was just jumping in and solving the problem so what he did was we we took him through a four questioning process and the four questions were um, to really ask his team number one is well, what exactly is the problem number two what do you think is causing the problem Number three, what are all the potential solutions that uh, we can come up with to address this problem? Number four is, what do you think, what do you believe is the best solution? Now, I tell you this story because not only would he take his folks through this four questions, but would post those four questions on his door. Before they would walk in, they would have, have to have answers to those four mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. And I tell you this, Geraldine, because as a result of putting his team through that four questions, um, he literally cut almost 18 hours a week from his work schedule. Wow. So, wow. you know, that's, and, and we all know a problem well-defined is a problem half solved. And that's not my quote. That's, uh, I'll have to look that up where that comes from. But that's what I mean by what exactly is the problem. See, so we want to give ownership to other people. Absolutely. So what do you think leaders should be asking themselves more? Asking themselves more. Try to be less reactive and get more proactive. And I realize that all of us are bombarded with so many things, pushed and pulled in a lot of directions, whether there's challenges in their work or challenges in their marketplace or customers. It's really understanding why am I doing what I'm doing? That really is a very powerful question. Why am I doing what I'm doing right now? Mm. Now, that's number one. Number two is, can someone in, in a similar role that reports to me or works with me directly or indirectly 
do this job just as well as me, if not better, if I could develop them. And I say this because we all know from an 80-20 rule, 20% of our activities lead to 80% of results. Yes. So if I'm doing something that I'm very comfortable with, and I'll give you an example. It's just somebody who really likes to enjoy, let's say, uh, I deal with a, a sales leader. This sales leader loves to go out on sales calls because misses those opportunities, the, being the hero of closing opportunities. See, this is a classic example that when people get promoted into new roles, they bring, they, they love doing what they did before, and they're not growing in the job. And I'm like, why are you doing that when you're taking away, robbing others of the opportunity to be successful and be empowered? There's no way you're going to grow your company if you're being an anchor doing what you did in the past. It's learning to let go. So as a leader, his, his role is no longer to sell, but to develop his people so that he can literally, instead of having one master salesperson himself, why not have 10 great master salespeople? And that's where he becomes a teacher now, see, yeah. rather than a salesperson. See what I mean by letting go? Yeah. I think that is where the difference is between management and leadership. I think yeah. we don't see the difference that they have to take the time to develop more leaders uh, because they're so sucked into what they are doing in, them up in that moment. In the moment, what they're comfortable about, this, it's either there's a comfort zone because they really like doing that. You know, somebody who loves processing paperwork and it's like because they don't have to deal with something else. Well, it's like, well, wait a minute. Why are you doing that? Because that's a $10 an hour role activity that you're doing. And then what you're worth, if you're running a $10 million company, well, the fact is don't be doing things that's a $10 an hour job. You need to delegate and empower others to do that activity because they could do it just as good, if not better than you. Mm, absolutely. So I'm wondering, you have the expertise, you are where you are right now because you have been successful, but also seeing the challenges, some deep points in your, your own life maybe that you've gone through and how, what type of questions or frameworks that helped you through that phase? Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, when I was a teenager, I like many kids struggling in terms of trying to find where they fit. I was going to all boys private school and you know, I didn't fit in, getting bullied and um, didn't have parents that were very supportive or wanted to listen because they were just like buckle down. And so I turned to um, a counselor, her name was Dr. Joyce Weber, and uh, she really helped me through the questioning process, you know, the consultative counseling process. That's where these, these many of these questions originate in terms of how we want to bring the problem outside and I was developing a lot of anger and bitterness and um, she walked me through to really help articulate verbalize the problem see the problem define the problem attack the problem and it's something that really turned my life around because I was going to literally drop out of school um, and because of that uh, releasing the anger and the frustrations but really seeing the bigger picture in terms of you know not where I am right now, but where do I want to be? What are some of the action steps that I need to take to make that happen? Mm -hmm. So I think that's where, where am I going with this? But when we want to develop connections with people, Dr. Joyce Weber was able to develop that connection with me to literally hold up a mirror for myself. And we do that. Others do, can help us do that if they, by holding up a mirror, is not telling us what to do or what we should do or need to do but asking those thought-provoking questions that allow us to crystallize our thoughts 
verbalize our thoughts and really see things much more clearly. It's much more powerful. It comes from what I'm going to believe what comes from my mouth more than what I'm going to hear that you tell me what I think, if that makes sense. See what I mean? Yeah. And obviously you got inspired so much of becoming an author and pretty much all about your life became around questions. So the impact is clear. So what is a question or one, two questions that changed your life? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I would say that I go back to, you know, the Dale Carnegie course. I remember the situation going back close to 20 years ago before I started this company. I was in this great position, director of training and development for a publishing firm. And I was running all the, the training support arm, which was really a very small division of this overall publishing entity. Wife at home, because she was raising the two children at the time that were, oh, I think they were two and four. Anyway, my point was uh, uh, I knew the job was coming to an end because we weren't getting more leads. The company wasn't investing in its division. They were telling me that they were literally, they wanted to eventually shut it down. But I was in a denial mode, not wanting to believe or accept it. So I was just continuing, continuing just because getting a six-figure salary, hey, why should I change or whatever? And I'll wait till that happens. Well, guess what? The day came. And that's where all of a sudden, like, uh, I sat down and, and they said, okay, today's your last day. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, what are we going to do about, about um, severance package? And they said, well, there is no severance package. Okay, well, what are we going to do about, you know, some sort of compensation? And, and there's nothing. So literally that day, it forced me to ask an important question. And that is, okay, as a result of today's actions, I got two choices. And number one, maybe I'll just go to the bar and just drink my sorrows away for the day and, you know, call it a day. Or what can I do about it to take action? Well, I, ch I answered the, the second question. Yes. And that very, it happened that morning, three hours later, uh, I was on the phone reaching out to, to clients and prospective clients. And one client in particular, um, they were in Pittsburgh. I remember vividly, we were having a, a good hour conversation. We were able, I was able to close a $25,000 opportunity that very afternoon. And so it was all about that question that changed my life is, well, what am I going to do about it? Wow. So that's what we really need to ask ourselves and, and ask others because, you know, I, it's not about what I can't do. What can I do? Okay. So it's going from red light thinking to green light thinking. Yes, that demonstrates the power of questions going from a reactive mode to really proactive thinking and why so many people say ask higher quality questions and get higher quality answer or life depending on that. So yes. one of our listeners asks this question. In the environment, you are a team member or even in management position and she would get emotionally fired up with other management components and it would go up more and more. And so when you're in a heated debate like that, what would you do? Yeah, it's a great, I'm reading a great book right now, The Lost Art of Listening, and it's by Dr. Michael P. Nichols. Mm. And it's about how learning to listen can improve relationships. And I really do, I recommend your listeners read this book because my area of expertise is questioning. And, and it's all about, you know, you ask, like you just said, you ask great questions, you're going to get rich information, but you need to know what to do with the information. To answer your question in this one chapter, it, it just, and I'm reading it, I literally was reading it last night, and it was about how the emotions, the emotions get in the way. So 
The point is not to respond, two things. Number one, empathy. Empathy, slow down and just your, your intonation can, can, can be an impediment. We don't even know it. Our facial expression can, can get in the way. We don't even know it. So number one, it's the empathy, slow down. Don't even worry about a response. Ask questions and, and just listen to the issues. And, and if that other person is still in an emotional state, I mean, eventually they vent, they vent, they vent to calm down. And what I, I, and if it's best is for that response, you might want to table it. You don't feel obligated that you have to respond that, that day or that moment. Say, you know what, I really want to reflect and think about this. Let me come back to you tomorrow. Or let's get together on Friday. I really want to think about this and have some ideas. And at the same time, I'll ask to have you think of some ideas as well. Okay. See, so, so that's what I mean about, you know, because anytime it's emotionally charged, you know, an emotion's a logic cross. Which one typically rules, Geraldine? Emotions do, Emotion. right? Always, yeah. So it's because, and, and so if, unless you address the emotional issue first, that's why people act and behave and they do the craziest thing. I'll give you an example. I had this conversation with one client who um, was, you know, you, you think about smoking and here in the, in the United States and globally, you know, the whole trend over the past 20 years has been really about the negative effects of smoking and, you know, and you're not allowed to smoke in um, bars or restaurants or public areas, but yet a quarter, 25% of the population is still hardcore smokers. Now, I have no criticism or complaints about anybody smoking. I couldn't care one, one bit, but I had an interesting conversation with one individual, uh, a high-profile sales producer, and, we, and I was able to ask this question because we had a good, I had a very good connection with him, but out of curiosity, not of criticism, curiosity, I say, so, you know, um, you know, I see that you're, you smoke. What do you enjoy about it? And he started talking about enjoyment and he was talking about, we, we talked in terms of how it helps him actually be a better salesperson. I said, really, tell me more about that. And he said, well, because it calms my nerves. I'll actually have a cigarette before I go in to meet with that client. Because I'm calm and I'm relaxed, you know, I really do feel I have much more successful meetings. And as a result, I, I, I do believe that I produce more sales. Number two, he said, you know what? I'm able to remain slim. Um, you know, I've quit smoking in the past and I put on 30 pounds and I feel that smoking really helps me to be more healthy. Now, here's where I'm, I'm telling you this. Isn't this interesting? This person had interesting reasons and to me, valid reasons why this person smokes and continues to smoke yeah. because he, he feels he's more successful professionally and personally because being in health and, you know, wanting to feel and look attractive is very important. That's very much emotionally charged. Now, yeah. I can do the logic and give the argument to say the negative effects, but guess what? <laughs> What's going to rule? The emotional drivers. See that yeah. example? Yes. Oh, yeah. And if I would put my success um, and, and health on cigarettes, I, there would be no way in hell I would stop. <laughs> <laughs> I was just mountain biking this weekend and, uh, you know, it was, there was a guy on the trail and he, and he stopped and there he was smoking a cigarette, you know, after his own mountain bike. And he was going, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't get the two, you know, mountain biking is like running and he's having a cigarette break. I, I, so, but all, all I could do was just chuckle to myself and say, but Hey, what, what, you know, everybody beats to unique drums. So it's, it's, I hope I'm answering your question there. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So the last question, I could keep on asking you questions for the whole day. This is super interesting. So the, the next question, you talked about empathy before mm-hmm. and asking questions. Mm-hmm. Would you have, what would be, of course, it's individual to each situation at one point, yes. but what would be some one, two questions that would deepen empathy or connection with another person? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the, the, there is a, a great program Early in my family situation, when we were raising the kids, one of the things that was really important was um, making sure that we would be really good parents. And so we just, you know, we took a parenting course and the parenting course was called Love and Logic. We took this course, it was a two-day course, and what I loved about the fact was, is that it really does breakdown it's a management course <laughs> that's all it is and it's all about and it actually followed a similar methodology that i would teach uh, and that is you know when we want to be you break it down number step one is empathy empathy and that is to listen and then step two is to really ask questions and dive in on the questioning modes step three is about you know let's let's explore opportunities solutions and uh, talk about somebody who she, she has a little bit of bipolar issues. And when her diabetes spikes, she can get a little nutty with me. Um, and so she, she, I came back from a, a travels. Um, she had a back discomfort. I had to help her into the bed. And that very morning, I, I got back in there to see her at 730. And so she just started criticizing me. You're, you're not around. You're not helping me. And you're not doing this. You know, I'm like, whoa, um, what's going on? So, as, and I found myself wanting to get into the defensive mode, argumentative mode. And, you know, there you go, emotions and logic, realizing that with mom, 86-year-old, you're not going to win. Yeah. And I, ra- I realized that all I had to do was say, mom, I love you too much to argue. And I did it again. Mom, I love you too much to argue. Mom. I love you too much to argue. And that went over, you know, for, for a good 10 minutes. That, and that's all I did was the empathy point, okay? Yeah. And, and it was to break down the confrontation to get people to transition from what I call the emotions to the logic. And then it's about, let's talk about it, okay? What is it you're looking for? And then I was able to get some help in, hire some help for three days a week. So we came to a happy conclusion. Make sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, just talking to you, we all notice your expertise on asking questions in all varies of different situations. So where can the people go to find out more about you and, and your books? And that would be paulcherry.com. All one word, Paul Cherry. Cherry spelled like the first. How's that? That's easy to remember, right? That, that's super easy. And it is actually my nickname as well, because yes. Geraldine, a lot of people can't spell. So when I went moved to America then Jerry was my normal name. <laughs> oh, yes. And of course, they asked, how do you spell, spell Jerry, I bet, right? Yes. Of course, Amazing. I know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's quite fascinating, yeah. Keeping respect on your time, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, Geraldine, my pleasure as well. Thank you. I think you have, I mean, it's just packed with information and questions and that we can all use in our life yes. uh, go, and uh, should use 
to build up to just get more connection, deeper connection with others and build that's right. Because we all want it at the end, right? And if we, we take the action, as we said before, if we do it, then we will get that result. We really do. You know, we always want to have to feel that we have to have the answers. And my recommendation, be in the moment with people. Be in the moment. Um, anybody who's, who's taking meditation, yoga or whatever, really would, would get what I'm saying. Because 97% of the time, we're either caught up in the past of something that happened this morning, yesterday, last week, or 10 years ago, or there's a fear, anxiety, a doubt of what's going to happen tonight, tomorrow, next week, next year. And the point is, you get in the moment with people, which is so hard to do. That's the real connection. And I, I recommend anybody just, you know, take, and if they don't believe what I'm saying, step aside and meditate for literally two minutes. Have a stopwatch. And I will guarantee you their mind will literally wander in, in 20 seconds on something outside the present right now. Yeah. See what I mean? Yes. yes. So, yeah, be in the moment. And, and that's, 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 that will help us, us build better relationships. And the questions come. So I don't plan the questions necessarily. Um, I don't contrive the questions. I don't get a checklist of questions because – when you're inquisitive and when you're yourself and who you are, things just come naturally. That is, that is also a great word, inquisitive, right? If we just oh. become more curious oh. of the other person uh, than about our own, our, our own mode or past, as we just explained, right? Just becoming curious of the other person again. That's right. The telephone company, Bell Telephone, years ago did a study in terms of what was the number one word that people said the most. And that word was I, I, I. Yeah. Okay. Followed by the next most popular word was me, me, me. No and way. It's, just, it's how we're wired. 95% of the time we're wired on our own needs. So you asked me about these are such simplistic concepts or ideas, but it's a behavior that we're trying to develop. Not what we know, but like you just said, what we do and the behavior is just, if I can be more acquisitive, some people are better at it than others, but I need to foster that skill, that behavior. It can be developed. By the way, President Donald Trump, we all know, I'm not going to get political here, but he <laughs> is not wired to be empathetic. <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yet he was in a situation where there was a a situation in Florida where there was a shooting, <clears throat> a mass shooting. And so he met with the students uh, to sit down in the Oval Office. He literally had cue cards, cue cards to be empathetic. And so one of the cue cards was, you know, I understand how you feel. And that was so outside his context, but he had to yeah. cue cards to be empathetic with people. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if, if Trump can, believe it or not, if Trump can had to work on this, why can't we? We all yeah. can. Some are people better than others. Okay. Yes. But we can all improve if we get curious. Yeah, sure can. Boy, that's, that's, that's tough to end on, on Donald Trump, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, that is funny. <laughs> no, I, think, I think we will rephrase it to being curious. Yes. All be curious and become even more curious and make it about the other person more because then actually we will, I did, I did hear this quote last time, I forgot from where it is, but saying that if we 
focus more on other people, what we can bring value to them, how we can, you know, just find out and understand them, then we will actually suffer less because the moments where we suffer, where we get sad or depressed or frustrated, angry, we always focus on ourselves ultimately, right? right. We have questions on what are we not getting, what is wrong with the world or whatever. It's always the focus is us. So if we focus more on being curious about other people and how to enhance their life um, and make them feel more um, whatever feeling we want them to feel, hopefully positive, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that we will achieve that if our focus point is, is to make the other person feel more loved or respected or more understood, then automatically our actions will show, right? Wow, you said something very important. That is, yeah, people do want to be understood. That's, that's the premise. And that is the heart of the issue. So that's well said. And that's in the book, Michael Collins, Michael Nichols' book, Lost Art of Listening. I I will get that book right right afterwards. That sounds super interesting. But I do believe most of us want to be understood, but somehow we lost the art of making the other person feel understood. Yes, yes, yes. That's where it then comes down to again. Um, And that's where I believe we can learn a lot. I mean, that's the emphasis on this podcast and whatever I do right now. So <laughs> with that, Paul, I wanted to thank you. Good. So thank, you, thank you, Geraldine. Thank you. Thank You're you. You're a part of a person. <laughs>